Welcome to the Quality Meat Scotland podcast. Industry updates and best practice to promote, support, develop and protect the Scottish red meat sector. Hello, I'm Mark Stephen and thank you very much for downloading this. Uh, No doubt you've seen the UK government advert about getting ready for Brexit. I'm sure you know the one. You know the clock's ticking, act now, may take longer than you think. And it finishes with the advice, check, change, go. Yesterday, I had somebody on the radio from the CBI, the Confederation of British Industries, saying, check what? Change what? Go where? And these are very good questions. The scary thing is that there don't seem to be many answers at the moment. We are literally days away from the biggest change to our economic landscape in 40 years, and information is perilously thin on the ground. Which is why on this podcast, we're going to be concentrating on a pre-Brexit market update. Not looking at what we don't know, but looking instead at what we do know just now. Joining me for that, uh, Ian MacDonald, Senior Economics Analyst at QMS. Ian's responsible for monitoring the market prices, as well as updating the price and supply data sets within QMS. That information is then used to write their highly regarded market reports. Andy McGowan is president of the Scottish Association of Meat Wholesalers. With over 25 years' experience in the meat and livestock sector, both home and abroad, Andy is the managing director of Scottish Pig Producers, the cooperative that markets pigs for 76 family farms in Scotland and Northern Ireland. He's also on the board of several farming and food support organisations, including QMS. I'm going to start with you, Ian. Obviously, this has been anything but a normal year. So give me an overview, if you can, things like prices, markets, supply, how the supply chains had to adapt. Yeah, Mark, it has been a, it's been a fascinating year. I think I've been monitoring the markets for, for over a decade now, nearly 11 years since I joined QMS. And uh, I think this year has been a year on steroids almost. There's been so much disruption in the supply chain. Every, every year has disruption, but this year has just been extreme. We started in March, all of a sudden, the market just rebalanced overnight. Food service sector collapsed, export markets collapsed. And then from then on, the, the UK retail market increased significantly. And when I was looking at the figures, you probably needed about a 10 to 15% increase in retail demand to, to offset the loss of the food service sector. And uh, we've seen uh, the highest uh, growth of 25, 30% in, in retail spending, which has uh, more than offset the decline from, from food service sector. Supply side on the, the cattle side, I think, a couple of years ago, there was a big reduction of sort of two and a half, three percent in calf registrations, but we, we haven't really seen that reduction in supply ever hit the market yet. Um, overall numbers have been pretty stable this year so far. Carcass weights have been down one, two percent. So the production has, has fallen a bit. On the sheep side, we had a really good lambing this year, a record um, lambs to you ratio. And those lambs uh, reached the market early with a, a relatively good summer, uh, good Good spring, gave them a good start. Store sales, really strong at the start. Lots of uh, store lambs being sold. Good prices for the sellers. Maybe not so good, such good prices for the buyers, but they were obviously confident. Can't forget about the, the pork sector. Uh, Andy certainly wouldn't let me forget about the pork sector. Uh, so again, the pork sector, real massive rebalancing in exports towards China after it's own uh, animal health scare a couple of years ago with African swine fever and that really boosted the market through 2019 and into the first half of of this year. I guess the the 
the pandemic, the COVID has uh, has caused some supply chain challenges in the pork sector across Europe, and uh, that's fed through to the the British market in the second half of this year and uh, uh, placed some pressure on on things. Uh, a lot of uh, cheap European pork at the moment, and that must be having some impact. The finished lamb price was was really exceptional this year, even even before the pandemic at the st- the turn of the year um, through. February, March, the price was at record levels for that time of the year and higher than, in some cases, it has been at the, the, the peak of the new season. And we saw right the way through the summer into autumn, despite lambs reaching the market early, increasing in, uh, in numbers, the, the price held remarkably strong uh, through September, which was the peak peak of the auction auction volumes. We had prices 25, 35% higher than last year, moving into October, November. We've seen the, the price compared to last year drop a bit back, maybe 10 to 15% higher, but we're still well above 20% above the, the five-year average. So it's, it's really been a, a very strong year for, for the, the sheep sector. Andy, what impact has COVID-19 had on slaughterings? So Ian has covered the, the market impact very well, but the second part of the jigsaw has been the impact it's had on, on operations within individual plants. So the difficulty is that you've got hundreds of people working really quite closely in proximity to each other. And it's how you try and maintain normal throughputs and keep the volumes up whilst in many cases, maybe taking every second person off a line, trying to work out how you feed them, how you get people in in the morning and out in the evening whilst keeping two metres distance between you at all times. Um, And all of these things have just meant that every business has had to adjust what it's done in in a way that's been unprecedented. And I think it's been a phenomenal achievement by all of the processing sector uh, and the farms and the haulage and so on to keep the supply chain running as smoothly as possible. Now, it's got more difficult, ironically, rather than less, as the, the track and trace programs came into force over the summer in the first half of the year you only really had isolation and people staying at home if they were physically feeling the symptoms whereas what's happening now is there's far more people asymptomatic they don't realize they're ill or they're being told to stay at home and self-isolate because they've had a contact and that's taking tens and in some cases hundreds of people out of individual factories and and we have seen some some real difficulties with that just this morning the main uh, pig plant which slaughters cull sloughs but in the UK has been closed because of a, a track and trace operation down there so this is going to keep on going I think until we get the vaccines across the majority of the population. I don't think anyone would deny Ian the effort that the supply chain has put in to cope with this but I mean as Andy rightly points out it hasn't always been successful there's been quite a few outbreaks in slaughterhouses. Yeah, absolutely. Certainly, in the if you're looking at the the spring period, um, if you compare slaughter numbers in, on the cattle side in Scotland with Irish Republic, with the United States, uh, the Scottish processing sector coped much better, and there was a, a much smaller fall in output, and uh, volumes were really strong throughout the summer. It's really it's been more recently we've as this the sort of second wave has has hit Scotland that we've had a few more issues with the processing sector and slaughter numbers have certainly the last couple of weeks they've been down quite significantly compared with uh, what would normally be the case at this time of year when slaughter would be towards the, the highest of the year. Andy, Ian mentioned China already. Is, is that the main thing that's been underpinning the UK pig price? Is there anything else? 
Absolutely. It's uh, were it not for the the boost from China, I think uh, the pig prices could have been 25, 30 pence back on where they were, uh, which is about 15 to 20 percent of their value. It's been the biggest driver on the pig market and meant that things like the loss of the food service side or, or fluctuations in the product mix going into retail haven't had the same impact because if you get a bad week, you're able to export more to China. The concern is that, that the demand from China is beginning to cool off a bit now as they recover their own production. So yeah, it's, uh, we're needing to see some changes in the market again, I think, to just to rebalance that. Any idea, Ian, how long the door to China will remain open before they completely recover their own production? I think even this year, there's been quite a significant upturn in, in Chinese pig production because it, it's just so profitable for the local uh, producers there. And there's been a bit of a shift towards a more industrial farming sector there. The supply chain is really professionalised. However, I think by September, October, they were still suggesting that production was only 80% of its previous levels. And the, the wholesale market there, the price there is still not far from its peak, more than double what it was a couple of years ago. Looking forward, certainly not next year will it recover. Talking a good good few years down the line before uh, a full recovery in production there. So moving away from COVID-19 uh, towards Brexit, I mean, what are the main challenges, Ian, you think that we're facing with deal, no deal, nobody seems to know at the moment? If we want to start with the the no deal, that's the the real, that's where the, the the heightened concerns comes from. In that scenario, potentially very challenging, especially for the the sheep sector. Based on the, if you look at the the wholesale carcass prices at Rungus Market in Paris, you're talking about a thirty seven percent reduction in the price offered to the Scottish exporter for the, the price to stay the same after the the tariff is, has been factored in, and then that's before you're talking about all the new different administrative procedures, customs checks, potential for border delays. That's the really the kind of unknown bit to, to plan for at the moment. So what you're saying at the moment is if I, if I was buying sheep in Paris, in order for me to buy it at the same price, the farmer in Scotland sending a sheep in Paris would need to do nearly 40% less. Yes, yeah, certainly. The way the, the tariff system works at the moment is you're talking about six euros a kilo on a 20 kilo carcass. And yeah, the the way the, the maths works, it's yeah, close to close to forty percent reduction if you wanted that price to stay the same. However, obviously the the with the the way the markets would rebalance, because obviously the UK is a very large supplier of sheep meat into the, the EU market. If that EU market doesn't have that supply from the UK or that the increased cost of um, sheep meat after the tariff pushes up the price on the European market, then that reduction compared to now might not be quite so steep. But you would imagine it would still be significant. The, the price isn't going to be able to, to fully adjust. What's your thoughts on this, Andy? I think that when we look back in a few years' time, we're going to think that the disruption com- from COVID was a bit of a small thing in comparison to, to what's about to happen with Brexit. Um, Ian's talked about the, the tariff regimes. That's only one part of the jigsaw for use. An example, uh, we export quite a number of breeding pigs from Scotland. As from the 1st of January, we'll export none because there is no border operating post on the continent for those pigs to go through and be administratively checked. And until one is built, there will be no breeding pigs going from the UK to continental Europe on meat. There's controls on what products can be moved into the EU. So uh, meat preparations, as they call them, so mince 
sausages, things like that actually can't be moved fresh into the EU. There's export health certificates needed on literally everything that moves. Now, these uh, the, the cost of these will vary depending on the demand, but you could be talking about a few tens of pounds for every certificate. We are going to need hundreds of thousands of these certificates for meat products. And that's before the same applies to dairy and to fish and so on. It's an enormous bureaucratic bundle and it will add a number of percentage points onto the cost of our product. That's before you start looking at tariffs. As we are recording this podcast, Ian, negotiations are still ongoing. They don't seem to be tremendously conclusive at the moment, but we've known about all this for effectively three and a half, four years. What's your take on this? I mean, are the government concerned about the future of agriculture? It's quite a long time that we've been talking about Brexit. Um, it's really, it's just, we're now down to, what, just over three weeks away from, from the deadline. And uh, I guess different sectors have different concerns, um, but I, I imagine the, the government must be must be taking quite a concern about the, the potential implications on, on uh, food exports and food imports. We're getting close to the close to the wire here, and uh, with the there's a real cutoff date. There's an, doesn't seem like there's any chance of an extension, um, and uh, the Europeans are are seemed at this moment in time. The European approach is to to sort of go for a, a rules are rules approach, where um, the full application of EU law is going to going to come in, and the UK would be a, a third country supplier, um, whereas at the moment we're a part of the single market, and at the moment it's shipping from Aberdeen to Edinburgh is almost the same as shipping from Aberdeen to Paris, but come January the 1st, it's it's completely different. I have several listener questions uh, to run past the pair of you. I'm going to come to you with this one first, Andy. It says, given the date now, and almost regardless of whether a deal is done, is it fair to assume there will be significant disruption to the supply chain come January? If so, how is this likely to work its way back down to farm level, and what can farmers expect to happen in the short term? Yes, there will definitely be disruption in the early part of January. There's a number of companies that, given the uncertainty for product, you look at beef particularly, um, there's cattle slaughtered this week that would be getting delivered in January. And given the fact we don't know the terms of trade in January, there there will be a slowing down of, of exporting in the early part of January. Now, Having said that, the disruption works both ways. So it's very hard to say, is this necessarily going to be definitely negative on livestock prices? Not necessarily, because the same applies in reverse. There are tariffs. If there's a no deal Brexit, the, the, the tariffs apply on product coming in too. So it's possible you'd see a rise in, in the values of some cuts and a decline in the value of others, ones that were more dependent on export. It's incredibly difficult to model. There will definitely be disruption. Does that necessarily mean livestock prices definitely go down i just can't say just now until we see what the terms of it are i know for the pig side we're not self-sufficient in pig meat in the uk on certain cuts we would definitely need to be bringing it in and that would boost demand for the scottish and the british product does that outweigh the parts of the pig that we don't eat maybe not i do think we also need to bear in mind almost all of the so-called fifth quarter for most of the species are exported into the EU. So we're talking about hides, skins on sheep, offals and so on. The vast majority of that trade goes to Europe and we shouldn't lose sight of the, the impact that there might be on that. Okay, next question. How will the Scotch brand be protected without the EU PGI? 
So this is a, a more positive one. The UK government has set up an equivalent scheme to the EU one for protecting geographical indications. So there is a, uh, the Scotch beef and Scotch lamb registrations are protected as with Orkney beef and so on. Um, and so they, that will maybe one area where there's less of a, a, a disruption. Yeah, and also on the on the European side, uh, there is no European law at the moment which can take a GI registration off the off the books. So our products will still be protected in the European market. Okay, next question: Without a deal, there will be more tariffs and barriers to export. Will some processors simply stop exporting? How will this disrupt the farm gate? Uh, that's a, a good question. Um, certainly, we have heard uh, rumours that some exporters might might stop certainly for the initial period um to wait for for things to settle down and as as andy highlighted before um it's it's really difficult to model how anything will eventually feed through to the to the farm gate so many different factors going on different cuts might become more valuable different cuts less valuable and then there's the fact that if we're imports from say of beef from ireland are coming in and they're facing the uk tariff it's difficult to see how it all it all feeds through in in the end how on earth, Andy, do you run an industry with this level of uncertainty? I think we carry on doing what we do best. There's no doubt, and there's a huge cloud of uncertainty. The, the double whammy of COVID and, and Brexit, I think, is truly unprecedented. But we do some things very well in the Scottish meat industry on farm and also in the in the processing companies. And I think in amongst all of this, we are concentrating on getting the job done. So the, the, the work continues to produce the best quality beef, lamb and pork that we possibly can. And that is valued by our customers. Yes, some parts of the trade are definitely going to be disrupted and there's costs and so on. We will find out where the new the new way of working is as we go through next year. Opportunities will arise as well. It's not all negative, but I think certainly the, it's the uncertainty just now is is probably the most frustrating thing. I think as soon as we know what it is we're dealing with, it becomes easier to to work out where those those upsides are uh, and minimise the downsides. So um, yeah, it's the limbo that's that that's maybe making it sound worse than it is. But um, we will thrive as an industry we always have done over the centuries and uh, we will continue to thrive going forward it's just we're going through a bit of a sticky patch last listener question i'm gonna run this straight back to you andy again will there be support available do you think if markets crash in january the one sector that there's there's been a lot of discussion about and then there's quite advanced work on is the sheep sector um i would be surprised if there wasn't some form of scheme rolled out fairly promptly if the, there's a, a really big effect on the, the sheep trade. I don't pick up much noise about equivalent schemes for either cattle or for pigs, for example. I know in the case of pigs, they were discussing whether an aid to private storage scheme would work. And the answer back was, well, if you can build me some freezers, uh, I'll put the product into it. Every freezer there is, is full of products as people stockpile ahead of the uncertainty because it's not we're not just talking about meat we're talking about pizzas and fish and anything else that you could possibly buy in so i don't think aid to private storage schemes are going to be a runner for the next few months but certainly there were there's advanced discussions about how you try and minimize the the impact at the farm gate level perhaps by some form of support payments ian on the question of whether there was support available in january we hear from government that there have been discussions as to how the sheep sector might be supported. They haven't really given any information other than that they have a potential scheme in place. Again, 
it would all it all depends on whether you'd imagine that it would be based on um, a reference price and if the market crashes relative to that reference price for a significant amount of time then a support package might come in to um, be paid to farmers but it's difficult to to say much more than that and again government modeling tends to point to the sheep sector being one that's particularly sensitive and we know in Scotland that uh, the, the sheep te- sector is is more sensitive to market disruption after January the 1st than the rest of the UK because of our, our later lambing we have more lambs left on farm at the at the turn of the year beef and pork sectors the government modeling would tend to suggest that if there's tariffs applying on trade both directions then because the UK is a net importer then the the farm gate price for for pork and beef would tend to rise but again it's it's difficult to plan for how everything completely materializes um once you once you get into the into the new year Andy, as I said right at the beginning of this, you have 25 years experience in the meat and livestock sector. Have you ever seen anything like this before? No. <laughs> no honestly, um, the the closest I can come to this is uh, when I was working in Russia in the transition from communism to capitalism. Um, and the, the, the level of uncertainty and people trying to find their way is, is on a par with this. But I think the, the double hit of covid coming on top of the the brexit negotiations going right to the wire being that this is an unprecedented level of uncertainty and uh yeah interesting times and ian are you able to take your eyes off news feeds at all at the moment because i mean th- things things potentially could change at any second yeah it's, it's it's very difficult not to not to monitor twitter and news websites constantly for uh the latest updates and are your farming friends constantly badgering you for information? Uh, yes, um, everyone is is constantly looking for information at, at this time. And uh, I guess at the start of the March, the pandemic, it was COVID was was top of the agenda. Now it's Brexit. But as Andy says, we've got both at the same time. It's just a very uh, challenging time for the sector. Well, Ian McDonald, Quality Meat Scotland, thank you very much for joining me today. Thank you. And Andy, thank you for your time too. My pleasure. Thank you. Andy McGowan there. And believe it or not, that is us for this year. We will be back in the new year with a series on business resilience, kicking off with a podcast in the immediate fallout of Brexit and the facts as we know them then. That's going to kick off on the 18th of January. Thanks very much for downloading this series, however. I hope you found it useful. From me, Mark Stephen, and from everybody at Quality Meat Scotland, I hope you have a peaceful and a restful Christmas and all the very best for the new year. listening to the Quality Meat Scotland podcast. For news and to listen back to previous episodes of the podcast, visit qmscotland.co.uk. For Scotch beef, Scotch lamb and specially selected pork recipe videos and inspiration, visit www.scotchkitchen.com or follow Scotch Kitchen on Facebook, Instagram or Twitter.